Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everyone, and I'm so happy to have you join me today. This show is really going to be informative, and I would like to tell you that my guest today is Dr. Andrew Newberg, MD. He's a neuroscientist and professor and research director of research at the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health at Thomas Jefferson University and Hospital in Philadelphia. He is also an author of 11 books, and we're going to be talking about his latest book, Brain Weaver. I don't know why that makes me want to break into a song. Welcome to the show, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, we were thinking about that song. <laughs> it is Brain Weaver, isn't it? Oh, Brain yeah. Weaver. That's Dream Thank Weaver. You. Oh, you know what? And that's what I, you know something? Talk about a brain. We're going to be talking about this all day. And then I said to myself, it's not Brain Weaver, it's Dream Weaver. Hello. So thank that's, you for the correction. Right. It's so no cool. Problem. It is so cool because one thing we all have in common is a brain. We might not all use it the same way and we may not all function the same way, but if we're talking and breathing and walking and doing our thing, we've got a brain. So I thought what we right. could do before we get into all of the questions that I want to ask you about this fabulous book, I thought you could just tell us a little bit about yourself so we just get to know you just a bit. Oh, sure. So, uh, well, I am a physician and uh, I work, as you mentioned, at the Marcus Institute of uh, Integrative Health. Uh, we were actually uh, recently created the first department of integrative medicine and nutritional sciences in the country. So we're very excited about that because uh, we feel it's so important to be able to bring all different aspects about the human health and well-being into the medical profession. That's something that really hasn't been done. But uh, before we talk more about that, yes, yeah, so my, my background is actually in two areas of medicine. One is internal medicine, and uh, the other is a field called nuclear medicine, which is an area of uh, how we do p- different kinds of imaging studies and particularly brain imaging. And over the last uh, couple of decades, I've been involved in studying all different kinds of brain processes uh, processes associated with different neurological conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, uh, psych- psychological or psychiatric conditions such as uh, depression or anxiety. And, um, and I got very interested in studying um, various aspects of kind of what, what sometimes are referred to as integrative medicine or sometimes even complementary medicine like uh, mind-body practices, meditation, prayer, spirituality, uh, as well as other uh, ways of trying to approach health, such as acupuncture, uh, yoga, and so forth. And as I got more and more involved in that, that was what brought me into the whole field of integrative medicine. Uh, and uh, and as, the, uh, as the research director here uh, at the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health at Thomas Jefferson University, we do a lot of research studies, which is where our book, Brain Reaver, really came out of, um, the research that we're doing by peering into the functions of the brain. Uh, 
um, as people contend with these different issues, um, how do we help them to stay healthy? And, uh, and how can we help people when their brain is not operating uh, as optimally as possible? How do, we, how do we start to help them to get their brain to do as well as possible and to make them uh, keep their brain as happy and healthy for as long as possible? Well, I love it. And, you know, regardless of your age, I mean, you know, whether you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 90s. I mean, look at this woman, this astronaut, this 82 years old, that's going to go up with Bezos tomorrow or whenever. I mean, it's just, right. you don't know. I mean, that, that, when I saw that she is 82 years old, I just thought, wow, that's pretty remarkable. But that's a side note. Uh, I, you know, and that's, that you'll well, find that as you speak to me. Note. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very important that, that, you know, one of, yeah, one of the things we talk about, it, I mean, the brain is, it has something called neuroplasticity, which means it can always, it can change and adapt to the world around us. And while certainly it is more able to do that when we are young, um, it is able to do that until the day we die. And so whether you're, you know, 8, 18, 80, uh, 108, um, you know, your, your brain can always continue to, to adapt and change, and, uh, and we can continue to strengthen it and to use it in, in as many ways as, uh, as a person would like to. I just think, I think that's so helpful. Um, so I know you wrote this book with uh, Dr. Monty, and I know you've written 10 books prior to this book. I mean, you are just really remarkable, my friend. But this book is what our main focus is going to be today, and I thought we could just start with the basics. So, and, and I think the definition, whenever I have a guest on my show, you know your glossary. This is your field. I, right. But that doesn't mean that somebody listening knows your glossary and your definitions and your field. And that's what I think is so beautiful about doing this podcast each week is because regardless, it, it helps us all learn. And I might just throw this out to all of you that, is, that are listening right now um, because I, I like to be – I'm specific – um, and I, I like to be specific. And so if I say your name is, you know, Andrew Newberg, somebody could say, well, is that B-E-R-G? Is that B-U-R-G? How do you spell that? <laughs> Why would you know? So let me just let people know. It is Andrew Newberg, and that Newberg is spelled N-E-W-B-E-R-G dot com. And you can go to Andrew's site. You can see all the information that's listed there, including the opportunity to buy this fabulous book. You can do it right off the website. So let's talk about the basics. And I think that this is a great place for us to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start, sure. right? That's a song, isn't it? So that's how it. would you define optimal brain health? What's that definition mean? How do you describe that to us? Sure. So there's a couple of, uh, there's three main ways that we talk about optimal brain health, and they are all kind of pillars in terms of how we become good brain weavers uh, and help our brain be as healthy as possible. So uh, the first definition, if you will, has to do with what we refer to as the four dimensions of our being, the four dimensions of who we are. Uh, one of them is biological is the biological dimension. And that it goes back to what you were just saying. We all have a brain and, and it's, the, it's the neurons, it's the neural connections, it's the blood flow. It's, it's all the part that makes up the physical part of who we are. And that's very important. And we'll, we'll talk about the biological side a little bit later on. Um, okay. The second dimension of us is the psychological side. 
Uh, and that has to do with our mood and how we, how we think about things and our feelings on things and whether we're optimistic or whether we're happy or sad. Uh, and that's important, especially when it comes to things like the stressors in our lives and how we manage them. The third dimension is the social dimension, which is how we interact with other people around us. Our brain is designed to be social. We are built to be social beings, to live within families, within communities, within countries, within the world. And so our brain has these areas that allow us to interact with other people, and that is really fundamental to our overall brain health. And then the the fourth dimension is the spiritual dimension, which is how we connect to the larger, you know, what is out there. Um, and that can be religious or spirit, you know, it could be specifically religious for some people, but it could be, you know, there are other ways of doing that. And again, I know we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail, but it can be, um, you know, it could be through creativity. It could be being in nature and so forth. But to us, making optimal brain health really means paying attention to all of these dimensions of who we are. If you're really good biologically, but your social world is a mess, that's going to create problems for your brain uh, and vice versa. So we really challenge people and try to help people to find ways of bringing all of these dimensions of who they are uh, into a kind of balance, into a healthful balance that is uh, an essential part of what brain, what optimal brain health is all about. And then um, the next definition, which we actually already mentioned briefly, is neuroplasticity, is the fact that our brain is always changing. It's always growing. It's developing. It's, it's moving with us. It, you know, the world is always moving out there. So our brain is able to take in all of these different things, all the different ways in which we interact with people in the world around us. And so the ability to make sure that our brain continues to be dynamic and changing is also essential to optimal brain health. And in that context comes our third definition, which is that we're talking about brain balance. And, and that's something that we have just learned so much of as we've looked at brain scan studies that we need all of the different parts of our brain to be in a balance with each other. If we're, you know, emotions are, are terrific. But if there's too many emotions or too little emotions, we're out of balance. Our thoughts and our cognitions, fundamental to who we are. But if we're overthinking things or underthinking things, then we lose that balance. So, and then all of the dimensions have a balance too. You know, I mean, being sure. a religious or spiritual person can be helpful, but if you join a, a you know a cult that leads to destructive behaviors and so forth, that becomes problematic. So. Everything has to do ultimately with balance, and that's what we, uh, to, to a large extent, ha- where Brainweaver ultimately goes. It goes into how we try to create that balance for our brain. I just love that. I think it is, if you had to say to me, and I do practice yoga, and I do consider myself spiritual, but it is all about balance, and that's not talking about the Olympic balance theme. It's talking about how we actually live our lives. And I talk about this all the time with my family and friends about how do I feel? Do I feel like I'm out of balance? Am I just doing way too many things? Am I really that good of a master juggler or do I need to drop some of these balls because I can't balance all these balls up in the air at the same time? And there's a lot of us that that probably can relate to that. There's others that would say, what are you talking about? I don't do anything all day. You know, so it's really interesting, right? Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. So 
here's another word that um, I thought we could talk about as we move through this, because this could be a three-hour show, trust me. So when sure. we talk about the cognitive process, can we talk yeah. about, number one, the definition of what cognitive means? Sure. Well, you know, cognitions really have to do really, I mean, I, the, the easiest way for people to think about that is the term thinking. It's, it's how we think about the world. And so uh, the cognitive processes of our brain include things like language, how we name things, how we talk about things, how we describe things. Uh, it can include mathematics and how we quantify things in our in our world. And, you know, mathematics is an interesting thing. I mean, people talk about, oh, you know, well, I don't know, calculus or whatever. But, um, but and that's certainly one part of mathematics. But, but we use mathematics all the time, even when we're just evaluating a situation. Is something better than or worse than, uh, you know, for me to do? Uh, is a particular activity something where the risks, out, you know, outweigh the benefits or vice versa? So we're constantly using our thought processes, our cognitive processes uh, to be able to understand who we are, understand the world around us, to plan our, our world, to plan our day, and so forth. And so we use those cognitive processes all the time. And what's interesting in particular about that, of course, is that there are specific areas of our brain that seem to get involved when we're using, for example, language. Uh, we tend to use the left side of our brain, an area of the brain called the temporal lobe, uh, which is located along the side of the brain. So that, that kicks in when we're thinking about language. But, but then when you talk about language, there's a lot of aspects to that. So for example, the right side of the brain, the right temporal lobe gets a little bit more involved in language when we're talking about the emotional content and what somebody's trying to say. So if somebody says, oh, get out of here, um, you know, our left side understands that that means in terms of the, the, the grammar and the specific definition of those terms. But it's the right side that determines, do they mean they really want me to get out of here or Oh, you know, they're just kidding around and they're just telling me, oh, you know, I've, uh, so, so those kinds of things are really important for us as we think about our brain. And of course, when it comes to brain health, we want to optimize our cognitive processes. And, and uh, in many ways, it also comes down to things like memory. I mean, that's what a lot of people think about when they talk about the cognitive processes. And these are uh, all of these cognitive processes, including our memory, um, you know, change over time. And, and certainly as we get older, uh, we tend to not remember things as well. We don't remember, you know, where we were when, uh, you know, when, when uh, we graduated from college or, or, you know, where where was I when I met my spouse or something like that. You know, so mm -hmm. over time, those cognitive processes do weaken a little bit, but the more we use them, the more we engage them, the better the brain can function. And so, uh, you know, it, it, I, I like to use the analogy of, uh, of a muscle that um, much like we, you know, we lift weights to strengthen our arms or our legs, well, you can kind of lift cognitive weights to lift and, and expand your brain. So whether it's doing crossword puzzles or learning a new language or doing something creative, there's a lot of different ways of engaging those cognitive processes that continue to challenge the brain. And when you do that, that's part of how our brain grows and forms those new connections, that part of that neuroplasticity. And, and the last thing I'll say before we keep moving, because there's just, as yes, you said, sir. there's so much to talk about, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> is, is that, that part of what we also talk about a lot in Brainweaver are to help people to recognize where their own strengths and weaknesses are in all of these different dimensions. So 
when we talk about cognitive process, some people may be really good with mathematics, but maybe not so good with language, or some people may be really good remembering names and other people uh, better remembering faces. And so part of what we're trying to challenge people to do is to understand you know, where their own individual strengths and weaknesses are so that we can help them to take advantage of the strengths and use those strengths to overcome some of those weaknesses, but also to find ways of bringing up the weaknesses so that you can kind of utilize all of those different cognitive processes as best as possible. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You know, it's really, it's really interesting about how I do this show. Um, you know, you and I have a list of questions that I want to make sure I ask you so that I stay on target. But what I'm doing in my brain, just so you know what I'm doing, I'm right. taking notes, yeah. I'm listening, I'm responding, and I'm asking a lot of my brain. Oh, and I need to be able to maybe read my handwriting. Um, I'm asking <laughs> a lot of my brain to do that, and I recognize that that means so are you present and in the moment and truly listening if you are writing, thinking, and responding? It's a challenge that I, I look at in my own personal cognitive health, as you would say. And it's something that I think about, and I try not to be too critical because that's not helpful, but it is right. part of how I spend my Mondays. And it just takes me to the next perfect question for you which is how do emotions play a part in our brain? Well, you know, emotions, that's the psychological uh, piece, the psychological dimension that we were talking about at the beginning, and uh, emotions are absolutely essential to our brain's functions. We, we need our emotions, obviously, and we all have them. And, uh, and interestingly, our emotions and our cognitive processes go together because the area of the brain in particular that's involved in emotions, what's called our limbic system, and two uh, big areas or two important areas in, in that uh, limbic system that many people may have heard of, one of them is called the hippocampus and the other yeah. one is called the amygdala. Um, both of these turn on when we have a lot of emotional responses to what's going on around us. But interestingly, the hippocampus in particular is very involved in writing things into memory. And you're kind of like, well, what, how is emotion and memory? You know, one's cognitive, one's, one's emotion. But our brain was designed uh, to make sure that we remember things that are emotionally important. Uh, and that's part of how we survive. So we remember the really good things. We remember our spouse or our child and make sure that we love them and, um, and engage those emotions to help us think about how we want to uh, uh, interact with them and, and speak with them and so forth. And then, of course, we, our, our negative emotions are important as well because we want to make sure that we protect ourselves. We protect our brain and our body. So if something, if we walk into a certain uh, area and uh, there's a lion there or there's somebody there who wants to hurt us, well, we might avoid that the next time because that was a pretty emotionally bad moment for us and we make sure that we avoid that or maybe we eat something that isn't, you know, isn't good for us. We go to a restaurant and we get sick. Well, we don't go back to that restaurant because that's how our emotions play out in terms of helping us to navigate through our world. But the other thing, which is also fundamental to how our brain operates and what we're talking about in terms of weaving an optimal brain, is that our emotions are also an essential part of that in the sense that if you begin to develop more positive emotions and emotions of 
kindness, compassion, love, gratitude, forgiveness, and so forth, then it actually helps the cognitive processes and the other processes of the brain operate more effectively. It actually, the more you kind of focus on these positive aspects of our mood and our emotions, then the brain has lower levels of stress and actually functions more effectively. Whereas if we focus on a lot of negative emotions, of emotions of anger and fear and anxiety and stress and so forth, then over time, those negative emotions can actually be very detrimental. In fact, going back to the neuroplasticity point, um, when you have a lot of negative emotions, the brain makes a lot less of the connections. Uh, it actually doesn't work as well. The neurons don't work as well and they don't connect. Whereas when you have a lot more positive emotions going around in the brain, then your brain becomes enriched with different connections and be, you become much more able to, to think about different ideas and think about different ways of interacting with the world. So those emotions are important on so many different levels. And, and of course, again, part of the, the thing that we're looking at is where is the balance of those emotions? I mean, you, sometimes you need to be critical. You need to be negative. That's okay. You know, you, you have to scold some, you know, a child if they've done something wrong and you need those negative emotions to grow and develop. But if it's persistent, um, that's where it becomes a problem. Same thing with, with stress, which obviously leads to those emotions. Uh, a, a certain amount of stress is essential. When we go through school, we're stressing our brain. We're trying to remember you know, uh, what happened in 1776. We're trying to remember what happened in World War II and so forth. And, and as we study and we, we force ourselves to do these things, that's what makes our brain stronger. But if we're constantly stressing our brain, if we're constantly making ourselves anxious and distressed, then eventually the brain is not going to work as well and we will start to forget things and we will not function uh, nearly as well as we do when we have the more positive uh, side of the emotions. You know, it's so funny. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the book um, called The Secret. And yes. the thing in that book is called The Law of Attraction and and how what you put out is what you get back. You know, and I, that book has been really significant to me in that I think about, you know, oh, this will never work. Well, guess what? If you're going to say that, you're going to repeat that, you're going to think about that, good luck. Where if you say, you know what? I have a really good feeling about this. That's what you're saying. And I think that that positivity couldn't be more necessary in the way we're living our lives today. Uh, it couldn't be. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're just, you know, we've been, you know, insulated for so long. But I, I'd like to talk because I, 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 re, I appreciate what you said about the hippocampus, too. That was very interesting yeah. to hear. In your book, I love that you say this. Is your brain starving to death? So how important is our diet? Well, you know, the, the famous old-fashioned line, you are what you eat, um, is, right? is absolutely dead on in terms of the brain as well. And, um, and one of, you know, we're in a department of integrative medicine and nutritional sciences because we have recognized how important our diet and nutrition is for the brain. And it's important on a lot of different levels. Um, so, for example, uh, you know, just starting out with, you want to make sure that you have the uh, right amount of vitamins and minerals and nutrients that your brain needs 
in order to function properly and in order to work well and, and to form those new connections and to develop the neurons and so forth. Um, so, you know, if you're missing vitamins and you're missing certain, you know, essential uh, nutrients, then your brain just isn't going to form as well and, and work as well. And so that in and of itself is important. But the other aspect of our diet that we emphasize a lot in, in our work is that many foods that we eat, uh, especially a lot of highly processed foods, uh, even dairy products and, and red meat, um, they are very what we refer to as pro-inflammatory. What that means is, is that the proteins and the molecules that are in those foods create a kind of inflammatory reaction or immune reaction in the body in a lot of people. And so what happens is, you know, we all know how we feel when we get a virus, uh, you know, when we get a cold, uh, well, you know, it creates inflammation in the body. And in fact, a lot of the reason that we feel sick when we get a cold is not because of the virus itself, but it's because of all of the immune reactions and the inflammatory reactions that occur in the body. And so uh, when that all happens, then, you know, we, we, we feel run down. And of course, we don't feel good. We, we feel, you know, our brain, we can't concentrate on things that well. It, uh, we, you know, our mood is kind of down. And so imagine if that's happening all the time, if you're eating badly all the time. And so we really work, again, in, in Brainwave, where we talk to people about what does their diet look like? And it's not just about eat better, but it's how do you eat better? How do you think about the foods that you're eating? How do you replace them with the better foods, uh, more plant-based, more protein-based foods, uh, which has just such a fundamental impact on the brain? And people have found that they're, you know, when people start to get into the actual research itself, that the, you know, quote-unquote Western diet, which is a lot of processed and fried foods and so forth, that this is associated with higher levels of depression and anxiety, and that when you change that diet, when you actually sort of change the way that you're eating the foods that you're eating, that your brain wakes up. Um, it gets away from that inflammation and actually functions better. So part of what we talk about in there uh, in Brain Weaver is how we can get people to more healthful diets, uh, and uh, and what what that means for people because um, obviously uh, it's also it's essential that people come to a diet that works for them. Uh, you know, I could tell you, hey, you should eat a lot of Brussels sprouts, and you say, well, that's great, but I hate Brussels sprouts. Well, then that's right. not a diet that's going to work for you. So so right. you have to figure out ways of constructing a diet that works for each person. Um, which individualizes their their care and and the plan that they have, and that is that's a fundamental part of of integrative medicine and the brain weaver too, which is that individualization. Each of us is different, and each of us has again certain strengths and weaknesses. Uh, and when it comes to food, same thing that we try to get people to find. You know, well, where are you doing the right things? Where are you doing the wrong things? How can you optimize the right things? And how can we reduce the wrong things? How can we how can we change them into something that works better for you? Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. And you know, today, I mean, who would have heard about plant-based um, uh, food ten years ago? Uh, my daughter has been a vegetarian right. for well over thirty years, and uh, so I, I know how she eats, and I know how she um, takes care of her health for those very reasons. Um, there were there, there were no um, impossible meat back then. Um, um, so well, that, let's, that, that's actually a very important. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, let me just say, I mean, one of the things that's really important that we try to point out to people is that 
We fortunately live in a world today where there are so many dairy-free products and, and, and plant-based products and, and so forth and gluten-free products. And so, you know, people do have so many more options today than they ever had before. Before it was always, Ugh, you know, I can't eat that stuff. That's just disgusting. But, but now right. there's a lot of really, really good foods out there and really good tasting foods that people can enjoy. Right. And, and again, we try to steer them in those directions. Right. No, no pun intended. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so my brain is functioning here. Um, how, there, you there you go. So how does our social, I know how it works for me, and spiritual lives play a part on our brain health? So uh, I'll, I'll break them out into, bo- into each of those categories because they actually sure. both affect us in, in slightly different ways. So socially, uh, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, um, our brain is designed to be social. We have areas of our brain that help us to perceive what other people are thinking about, what other people are feeling, uh, a sense of empathy and compassion that we can have for other people. And, and all of our language is about being able to communicate with other people. So the more we do that, we're utilizing those areas of the brain. And in fact, actually, uh, I wrote another book called uh, Words Can Change Your Brain, where we do talk a lot even more about, you know, how we can change into t- taking those positive relationships and those positive words to helping us be as social as possible so that we can engage our brain and to enhance our brain's functions because we are designed to be social. So being social is good for the brain and it just, it expands our brain. It allows us to think about different ideas. It then, you know, circles back to the cognitive processes and the emotional processes. I mean, think about when you're with your friends, you feel good. You know, you feel right. when you're with a loved one, you feel good and it makes you feel calm and relaxed and, and de-stresses you. So there's all this interplay between these different dimensions and that's where the social part of our brain comes in. And then the spiritual part, which is, you know, I've done a lot of research in a field that some refer to as neurotheology, uh, which really looks at the relationship between our brain and our spiritual lives, our spiritual selves. Uh, that can also come in a variety of different forms, but it's so important for us to maintain our brain's health. So for some people, being spiritual is being religious, and, and that can be very effective for people. And so uh, when we do have a patient who comes in who is a, is a very religious individual, um, how can they optimize that? How can they turn to that to help them with coping with cancer, coping with different issues or problems that they're facing in their lives? Religious or spiritual beliefs can be very helpful in that regard. Uh, spirituality can also be different practices. You mentioned that you do yoga and various meditation-based programs have been, uh, you know, are all over the place these days. And, and some of them are connected to a specific religious or spiritual tradition. Others are made in a more secular kind of context. So there's, there's something for everyone, basically, that, you know, spirituality doesn't just mean that, you, that, you know, I have to go to church or I have to go to synagogue or something like that. Right. But there are many different ways of engaging that. And, uh, and spirituality also can be about being in nature. It can be about being creative. I have a lot of people come up to me and say, oh, you know, my spirituality is, is in my art and music or something like that. Um, so there are a lot of different ways of engaging this part of ourselves that makes us feel as if we're connected to something bigger than who we are. And so whether it's being connected to the rest of humanity, whether it's being connected to the universe, whether it's being created, uh, connected to something creative and beautiful, uh, all of those things 
again, engage our cognitive processes, our emotional processes, our social processes. When we do a practice like meditation or prayer, maybe we do it with other people or we go to a church or a synagogue and we're with a congregation. So we engage the social side of ourselves as well. So we always encourage people to find a way of engaging that spiritual side because that is also fundamental for our brain health. Oh, that just makes total sense to me. It's funny when people will say to me something like, I don't know how you do everything you do. And I say, you know, sometimes I just have to step away from being face-planted. I have to grab my camera, and I have to go outside and take and, and, and photograph and, and be in nature, just mm. like you said. Other people, maybe they're going to swim. Other people, maybe they're going to go ride their bike or whatever that might be. When you know right. what calms you down, in my case, it's that camera, I, I, mm-hmm. I, already, I can tell where my shoulders are. I know that my shoulders are not earrings. I know they're supposed to be down. I know I'm supposed to take a deep breath. I know I'm supposed to exhale. And I, I talk to people all the time. I mean, I don't ever shut up. I, you, God bless you if you're <laughs> in line with me at the market. It's like, oh, God, I just, just came here for carrots. Are you going to go away or am I going to have to be stuck listening to you? You know, so, I, I mean, I, I engage in conversation because I love it, but I do know that, that, that we go back to balance, like you said earlier. Um, the other thing that I know is really, really important, because I think everything you're saying is important, and I think we go away from it, and this is what I love about your book and what you're saying is that spirituality might be this for you. It might be that for you. You're not dictating what that should be. You're just exploring how we can make our brains more effective. So that takes us right over to sleep. And some people have a terrible time sleeping. You know, we're hearing all about the last thing you need to be doing is looking at your iPhone while your, your cell phone, your iPad, whatever, while you're going to bed. You need to turn that blue light off. You need, you know, so I know that right. sleep is really, really important. And do you think that that does um, help us think better? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's no question that our, you know, uh, you know, we know that if you actually, you know, forcefully deprive people of sleep, that their brain becomes a complete mess within a couple of days. So uh, mm-hmm. it is absolutely essential for our brain to work well. And, um, and of course, anyone who has had a bad night's sleep knows that they don't think as well. Their brain isn't quite as clear. They, you know, maybe they're a little bit more irritable that day. Uh, so, you know, it has an impact on all the different ways in which our brain works. But the challenge, of course, as you said, is that, you know, there are some people who find, uh, you know, can find that sleep comes pretty easily for them. And then there are a number of people where sleep is really challenging for them. And, and so, you know, in Brainweaver, we do talk about, Again, our strengths and our weaknesses, especially when it comes to sleep. Uh, we talk a lot about sleep hygiene, which are so just some basic things, as you were mentioning, you know, not being, uh, not using your phone right before you go to bed, maybe not having the television on, trying to do things that are relaxing, trying to kind of turn the brain down a little bit. But there are so many different approaches that people can potentially take. And it's a matter of kind of finding that the right key to the lock, so to speak, um, and whether or not it is something that's more biologically oriented, you know, how melatonin may be involved in that and your day-night cycles could be problematic. Uh, it could be related to, uh, it maybe it may you need to do some kind of meditation practice. And again, we kind of take people through these different questions to help them figure out what would be, you know, what's going on? Why is their sleep not good? 
and then try to find the, the mechanism, the approach that might be best for them. Uh, and again, diet and nutrition comes back into play. You know, when are you eating? What are you eating? Uh, and making sure that you're, you're eating the right kinds of foods that are going to sustain you through the night, but also not keep you awake through the night. And uh, all right. of that is, is really essential for helping people sleep as, as effectively as possible. I, I, you know, and we haven't spoke about water, but we, we've mm, all heard yeah. that we're not, none of us are drinking enough water. Well, depending right. upon when you're taking that last gulp of water with your nighttime medications or whatever you take, you know, the likelihood is if you're drinking a whole eight ounces of water an hour before you go to bed, um, the likelihood is you're going to be up in the night for no other reason than <laughs> to get rid of some of that water. But hopefully... Right. You just go right back to sleep and right. don't turn the thinking brain on, you know, thinking brain off. But um, I'm thinking about just this, this kind of year we've all had, depending upon yes. everyone's lifestyle. You know, if, if suddenly you're working not the way you used to work and now everything is a Zoom, not a camera, and you're, you're right. looking at each other, and you're thinking, well, dang, you know, you, you can't tell, but I saw my pajamas on, and but you don't see them at the bottom. You're just seeing the fact that, yeah, I put some lipstick on because, frankly, I don't have a mask on now. It's like, what are we doing? Right. Oh, who wears lipstick anymore? So, I mean, you do in your house if you're on a Zoom call, but you're not going to wear it underneath your mask. So, um, you know, I think that um, it's been a it's been a stressful year for all of us. Absolutely. And you're on the yeah. East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. It's constantly changing. We just started yesterday, yeah. Andrew, having to go back. Yeah, as of as of midnight Saturday night, we had to go back in the L.A. County to now wearing our masks everywhere. Right. Not just right. you know. Now we're talking back into Costco or wherever you go to the market. Masks have to go back on. I suppose what. What goes through my mind is that tells me, well, then I really don't know, Joe, if you've been vaccinated or not, or Susie, if you've been vaccinated or not, because the bottom line is now we all look alike, where before you could be standing next to somebody without a mask, but you really don't know if, you know, if they've been vaccinated or not. Maybe you have, and you're feeling pretty chipper about that, but, you know, it's been really stressful, and I can't imagine that this has not had an enormous effect on our brain right now, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, this, this, the whole pandemic uh, on, on a lot of these levels, on a lot of these dimensions. I mean, people, uh, first of all, you know, th- as you were just saying, I mean, there's just this stress and, and, and all of the negativity and the fear. And, and again, I mean, it, it, that's not to say that it isn't appropriately placed at times, but, right. but being in that sort of constant state of vigilance and fear and concern and angst, um, certainly has a very negative effect on how the brain operates, then all of us suddenly can't be social anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, as you said, I mean, people were, you know, found ways of trying to do it online, but not quite the same thing, you know, and, and, and certainly not the same kind of fun and happy-go-lucky going out to a movie or going to a restaurant or a sporting event or something like that. I mean, people just couldn't do those kinds of things that were part of their social life, um, they were constantly under different stressors. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, as uh, we were out with some friends the other day and they were saying how everybody gained 30 pounds because they couldn't go to the gym and they couldn't exercise the way they normally would. So they're all sitting at home eating. 
Um, and so, you know, that just goes back to what we were talking about with diet and nutrition um, sure. and uh, the inflammatory process of gaining weight, which is problematic. Uh, so, uh, and then even on the spiritual level, I mean, you know, all the, the things we heard about people who wanted to go to church and couldn't go to church or synagogue right. or something like that, or to the mosque to, to pray or to be with their congregation the way they normally would, or to go out into the world and, and try to help other people. Um, so on so many different levels, this was very challenging. And, and that's part of why we hope that Brain Weaver as a book, you know, really hits a chord right now because we are hopefully, you know, uh, barring some of these little setbacks, hopefully, you know, on our way out of this. And, and now we have to kind of re- reset ourselves. We have to rebalance ourselves and we have to get back to those social ways of being and, and reengaging the world and, and hopefully trying to take our, our overall anxieties and stressors down a bit so that we can feel a little bit better about the world and be a little bit more optimistic about the future and, and, and head in, in better directions. But right. uh, this is, it, it's a real challenge. And, and if you're sitting at home and, and, and watching the news and, and uh, everybody hates everyone, <laughs> yes. and, uh, you know, and, and, and everybody's <sighs> getting sick and, you know, I mean, it's, you know, after a while, it really is, it's, it's, it's polarizing, it's hard. And, um, and so, you know, part of, part of what we need to do uh, to be able to make, you know, try to bring people back together is to get your brains being healthier. You know, when your brain is not healthy, you're anxious, you're stressed, your mood is bad, you're irritable. So now, you know, you go out and interact with somebody who may not fully agree with the way you look at the world. And instead of just having a nice conversation about different points of view, you know, it, it becomes, well, you're horrible and you're this and you're that. And <laughs> so we, you know, uh, I, I, I frequently wonder how many wars and, and, and conflicts could be uh, could have been managed better if people, as we've been talking about, got better sleep, uh, were, you know, better interacting socially and, and had the right food. <laughs> so, yes. um, you know, maybe, maybe people would have been in much better moods and, and less likely to go start killing people. Really, you know, it's, it's funny. I know we have so many questions I want to ask you, but I want to really ask you this. Because you can't talk to anybody today, and you're talking, and it's like, what day is this? Wait, is it one, wait, wait, it's Monday? Wait, no, it's Thursday. That's right. I don't care how old you are. You hear people say that. It's, it's not uncommon. Huh. And, um, or somebody says, God, where did I leave my keys? Where's my cell phone? You know, those are like, oh, my God, really, no, where are my keys? They're not in my purse. <laughs> did I put them on the counter? Hello, they're in your pocket, Really? Did I remember putting them in my pocket? Uh, not necessarily. Okay, so when we start asking ourselves those kinds of questions, where I left my keys or where did I put my phones, where do you, where do you analyze that in, the, in a level of concern? Right. Well, there's a couple of ways of looking at that. Um, you know, so part of it is, what have you all, you know, what have you or one has always been like, um, if, uh, you know, my wife is not particularly old and yet she always seems to lose her phone. So when Mm -hmm. she turns 80, if she's having trouble with finding her phone, I'm not going to be overly concerned about that. (laughs) She's 50 and she's not remembering. So, um, you know, so that's, that's part of it. But, um, but I think, you know, uh, 
we all start to lose our memory a little bit as time goes on. And this is actually, you know, in many ways, a big challenge for physicians and for patients um, as they get older to try to remember, you know, where they should be and to try to think about exactly, um, you know, how much forgetfulness is okay. Uh, part of the answer is, is that if you're thinking about the possibility that you're not remembering things as well, then you're probably okay because, it's, you know, you're kind of cognizant of the fact that you forgot something. Um, but that being said, you know, anybody who is concerned, it's always worthwhile to go to a doctor and talk to them and have them evaluate you. Uh, it, it's important to ask the people who are around you, your friends, your spouse, and, you know, is this really something that's getting substantially worse or is it, you know, not getting in that much different? And then it's also important to remember what are the other factors that are going on in your life. I mean, if suddenly you're uh, thrust into a situation that's very stressful, maybe financially or a relationship issue, then all of a sudden all those stressors make you not remember things as well and not be able to multitask and not be, you know, forget your appointments and things like that. And maybe it has nothing to do with how your brain is working. It's just that you're in a different kind of state or different kind of situation where you're not functioning as well as you should, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you're developing Alzheimer's. So, um, so you know, we, we challenge people to think about what are the things that are going on, what are, you know, what seems to be going on and in what kind of context, things like losing your keys for, you know, losing where your phone is. Um, those are pretty common. If you're driving someplace that you've gone to a hundred times and you get lost, um, you know, then you might want to think about, well, well, you know, that seems unusual for me. So that when it's things that are unusual for you, uh, not just the frequency of doing it, but something that just seems out of place for the way you would normally do things, um, then that's when you start to at least raise some concerns. And then it's always helpful to, to meet with someone who is an expert, go to, go to a memory disorder clinic or, you know, talk to your doctor and say, hey, you know, this is what happened. What do you think? And have them evaluate you. And, you know, we do all kinds of cognitive testing here. And, uh, and sometimes it's very helpful. You know, people, oh, no, you know, your memory is, uh, is, you know, in the 90th percentile, you're doing fine. But, but even yeah. there, it, there's an interesting problem with that because, if somebody was used to being in the 95th percentile and now they're in the 90th percentile, they may feel like that's a deficit, even though they're still functioning better than 90% of the people. Whereas somebody right. who, you know, was normally at 80% um, is now at 79%. You know that you know they may not even they may feel like they're just working fine. That's the way they are. So so it's not just where you are, but where things are changing. I, and would you recommend at a certain stage in all of our lives, whether you've said to your doctor, I don't remember where I put my keys, that it's not a bad idea to have assessments and to do those things so that you know you're at 90%. Well, you know, how do you know you're at 90% if you've never even been tested? Well, that is an interesting issue. And, and yes, I mean, to a certain degree, if it's, you know, within your resources and your abilities, it, 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 there, it is always helpful to get some kind of baseline at some point in, in your midlife to see sort of where you are and, and, uh, and how you're functioning. Um, again, part of what we actually try to do in our book Brainweaver is try to help give people some sense of assessments, um, different kinds of questionnaires and things like that that they can take, um, you know, thinking a little bit about where they are in their overall health. Uh, you know, we always recommend people to do regular screenings and so forth. To, I mean, just your general health is fundamental. So, you know, making sure you get your colonoscopies and check your skin and check your eyes and so forth. These are all windows ultimately into your health and your brain. 
Um, so it is it is important for people to to do those kinds of checks and uh, to the extent that um, at least you know to have some sense as to where you are at a given time and uh, sure. and then that way it does really help because we do a lot of brain imaging studies. And sometimes you see something, you're like, mm, you know, well, if that was there 30 years ago, then it's not a problem. If that was, you know, if that wasn't there last month, then it's, maybe it's a problem. <laughs> so. Sure, sure. It makes, it, it makes sense. So um, when we think about signs, about our concerns, about our memory, are there, mm. you know, that's one thing to say, you know, where the heck's my phone and what day of the week is it? It's another thing right. when you don't know what you're supposed to do with the phone or you have your keys right. but you don't know where they go. So are there some th- some signs that you could s- say, I mean, I, I like what you said, I, and, I, and I wrote this down because I think it's significant and maybe this is part of your response, by asking right. yourself, is it unusual that I, right. uh, you know, ha- has this been going on for quite some time or is this suddenly like, uh-oh, wait a minute, where do the socks go? Oh, they go on your feet. Right. You know what I'm saying? I, that's being dramatic. Yeah. But I'm just saying. No, no. But are there, are there, you know, what could, how, what could you tell us about that for signs? Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is, is what you were just mentioning, uh, the, you know, time course. Um, when are you starting to notice these things? Is this something that has just been kind of slowly getting a little bit worse over time? But, you know, there's nothing specific that you really remember as being problematic. Um, as we were just mentioning a moment ago, something that is, you know, kind of out of the norm for you. Um, if, you know, you've always been balancing your checkbook perfectly and suddenly, like, you don't even remember where it is or something like that, or, or you haven't done it in a month and that's, like, really unusual for you, then that is something to, to, to take some notice of. Um, speaking with your friends and family who are around you all the time, I mean, they're the ones who are really able to say, yeah, you know, uh, no, nah, I think you've been pretty much, you know, in my conversations with you, you're pretty much the same person. Everything seems to be the same. Or, yeah, you know, like you used to remember a lot of this stuff a lot better than you're remembering now. There's something seems to be right. uh, changing in you. And and I think also the emotional piece is, is is important as well as the spiritual piece. You know, like if somebody went to church or every every week and suddenly they're not going and there's no like real reason why they stopped going then that may be important to to make you know to to try to understand well what happened you know why why did they suddenly stop doing something that they used to be able to do um, right. you know same thing with 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 music you know if like they used to play the the guitar or the piano every day and you notice gee I don't remember you playing the piano for the last month and a half what's going on you know um, that could be some real signs, as well as, again, as well as the emotional piece. Um, you know, are people getting more frustrated with the fact that they're not remembering certain things? Um, you know, how are they reacting to people? Are they reacting in normal ways? Does their sense of humor seem the same? Um, so, you know, you're trying to look for things that are out of the norm uh, and also sure. something where there's kind of a noticeable difference as opposed to just kind of a progression to uh, just not remembering where the keys or the phone are. Right, I think that's really great, and you know, I happen to be a widow and live alone, so I don't have somebody looking at me and going, uh, "Hello," but I do um, get together with friends regularly. I love what you said about keeping our brain stimulated. You know, we all know about Sudoku, we all know about crossword puzzles. I play jigsaw puzzles right. on my iPad every night just to keep my brain strengthened. But mm. I would be curious to know this. Um, because it was certainly asked of, when you go to the doctor 
and they want to know when they start, you know, doing a full physical, you know, family history. My father had ten, right. ten siblings in his family. And did anybody have dementia? Well, actually, yes, yeah, some of them did. Some of his sisters did. Right. So, okay, we need to know that. And I, I and before I move forward with this, because I think this is really an important, another one of those definitions. Could you tell us? the difference between what dementia means and Alzheimer's? Because I assume that there is sure. a difference. Yes. So, so, I mean, dementia is kind of the broader uh, term. Uh, dementia really means that you are not remembering things as well. Cognitively, you are impaired. And so that's just a term for losing your memory and, not, and losing your cognitive functions. There are lots of reasons why you can develop dementia and Alzheimer's disease, which sometimes was referred to as Alzheimer's dementia, is a specific you know, form of it. It's the most common one, um, and it has to do with the, um, uh, where people get excessive amounts of these bad proteins, these amyloid and tau proteins and so forth that people are detecting in the brain that ultimately causes it kind of, deter- you know, there's, there's a deterioration of the brain itself. And, and specifically, there are microscopic findings that people look at when they you know, can look at the brain itself, you know, in terms of the actual tissue itself. You can look at this under the microscope. But there are other, there's something called frontotemporal dementia. Uh, Parkinson's disease can sometimes have dementia. So there are a lot of different reasons why people can develop dementia, but Alzheimer's is one particular one. And, uh, and of course, you know, part of the, the bigger question that we always have is, you know, how do you how do you help to diagnose people? What's the best way of doing that? And what's the best way of trying to avoid developing those neurodegenerative diseases? And as you mentioned, uh, you know, sometimes people have a family history, and that is part of it. But, um, but the healthier we stay, uh, the, be- you know, the, the more we eat a good diet, the more we activate our brain and so forth, the more social we are, uh, the more we engage that spiritual side, the better off we are at at, at least, you know, maybe we can't avoid it completely in our lives. If we live to 106, maybe we will develop it at some point, but, but hopefully we can put it off to 95, 98 instead of having it develop when we're 80 or something like that. So, so that's also a very important part. You know, we're, 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 our genes are important, but what we do with those genes and how we use them uh, is really fundamental. You know, our, our analogy is, is the genes are like the blueprint of a house and you can have a really beautifully designed house, but if you make it with crappy wood and, and, and bad nails, well, it's going to fall apart. Whereas if you make it, even if you have a crappy design of a house, if you're making it with really, really good materials, then it might last a long time and be really, you know, a good house. So, um, same That's thing a really brain. great analogy. You know, it, it's funny because what what we continue to come back to, frankly, is by taking good care of our health, meaning our right. diet, by 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 taking care of our social side of life, by trying to de-stress some of the things in our life, we really have the opportunity to strengthen our brain. And and I I like what you're saying because frankly. I hear that as being very hopeful. So with that in mind, um, what's the good news? Do, do we have some good news about our brains? Well, I think we have lots of good news about our brain. I mean, the, 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 the main thing is, is that our brain always is adaptable. And even if you haven't been treating your brain very well, um, what the evidence shows is that if you start today and you, you change your diet and you engage the world and you, you know, do your crossword puzzles and do all kinds of brain activities mm-hmm. and, 
and so forth, then um, your brain is going to get better. Um, just, just again, you know, if you if you don't do any exercise until you're 50, and then all of a sudden you start exercising, well, you know, you can still make a pretty good body and and get pretty strong and develop your muscles mm-hmm. and and run a marathon someday. You know, so so the brain is the same way, and uh, and that is the good news about it that that we always have an ability to to be able to improve the way our brain works, and. Um, and, and even the idea of having good news is fundamental to our brain's health. You know, there are some fascinating studies that show that people who have the highest levels of optimism are the ones who do the best uh, in terms of heart disease, in terms of dying and so forth, in terms of cognitive function. So, you know, having, we, we, uh, we always talk about having faith and whether that's religious or spiritual faith, whether that's just being an optimistic person, but having those positive ways of looking at the world and looking at yourself um, those are the things that are the best for the brain and will m- most likely help you to keep your brain as happy and as healthy for as long as possible. I love that. I, I find that to be so um, hopeful. And, I, you know, you're a scientist. I, I, so I'm just curious because I don't know. So if you don't know, you just ask. You mentioned that you're right. a physician. Do you actually – you're not called – I'm putting quotes around this now, but you can't see my hands. You're not called a neurologist, <laughs> are you? I mean, no, are no, you my a, background. Yeah, uh, I, okay, I'm a medical doctor, but um, in internal medicine and and integrative medicine. So, um, okay. you know, in terms of health and and well-being, I do look at the whole person. You know, it, it's not just about the brain, but the brain is intimately connected with the body. Another fundamental part of integrative medicine, and so, you know, helping people with diabetes and weight and and heart disease and all you know immunological function and their hormones i mean we we talk about all these all the different biological pieces that we haven't really talked about uh are really important to maintain as well and uh and that is part of what um you know the, the the work that i do both in terms of my clinical work, taking care of patients on a more, you know, general medical level, integrative medicine level. But then we also do all of the brain imaging, which is that nuclear medicine part of my career, uh, where we do brain imaging studies uh, of people with, you know, concussions, with uh, oh, multiple gosh, sclerosis, concussion. with Alzheimer's. And so, sure. Yeah. And, and, and then we're, you know, we're in the process of doing research studies and ongoing research studies, a lot of which has, has informed the book Brain Weaver, um, that if we change your diet when you have a concussion, does that improve the way your brain functions? Does it improve the way you feel? Right. Uh, does, it, does it, you know, if we give you an antioxidant, does that help you if you have uh, multiple sclerosis or if you have Parkinson's disease or something like that? So we're looking at all of these different ways that really combine you know, I mean, sometimes you need medications, too. I mean, if you have sure. depression, for example, you may need an antidepressant. Uh-huh. But if we can also help you with your diet and nutrition, if we can help you do exercise, if we can help you with your sleep, then all of those things are going to just be synergistic with whatever interventions that you may need as well. It's right back to that word you said at the top of the show, Doc. It's balance, right? Balance. And yep. not everybody everybody has to come into their own balance. What what might be balanced for my life That's might right. be different for somebody else's. But I do think that for anybody that is just, you know, analyzing where they are in their lives, taking time to take stock. I, your book does a your book does a great job at that. You ask specific questions and you want to be able to answer those questions. You know, and I and I love that. And you don't have to be a scientist and you know, I don't think your book is right. written 
for the scientific population, which I, I personally really appreciate. If it's going to be written for things over my head that I don't understand, then I, I, I'm not going to bother. I, I'm just going to be honest right. with you. I'm just going to take a different process, and I'm just going to have somebody tell me what to do. But if it's written for somebody that can easily understand what you're saying, and you do have some pictures in here, and, you know, I'm right. going to be honest with you, these pictures um, are scientific, and I don't understand them, but that doesn't mean that I can't get something out of what you've written. You know, that's why, right. some. you know, we... You know, the, this this hand the, the book, the actual book where you can take a, a marker and highlight areas, put a book put a bookmark there. All of those things. You know, this is maybe the kind of book that you want to read more than once or twice because it's like, what do you say about that? What's a healthy gut? I mean, you know, what what right. are these things? You know, there's all these different diets and all these different snacks and all these different things that we might want to consider. That frankly, we just Never thought about it. Maybe you've never had hummus. It's like hummus. Ugh, <laughs> that just sounds nasty. Well, maybe right. try it. What did we used to hear maybe from try. our parents? Try it. You'll like it. I you like know. It. So um, I think that what you're what you're offering um, in your book, and I and I I'm going to have to go back and look at that other book you were talking about. Words can change our brain. I mean, as a word sure. person, that means a lot to me. That I I need to go check out. But I do want yeah. to encourage people to to visit your website, to purchase your book, and to, you know, don't let it just be a dust collector. Actually open it. And and I like what you say when you say brain weaver, not dream weaver, creating the fabric <laughs> for a healthy mind through integrative medicine. It's it's a perfect it is a it is it is woven. And um I I love it and I think that this and is the, really important. And it's the important. only one you got. It's the only well, you one know, you, you're have, right. so you have to take good care of it. <laughs> you, you're absolutely right, because if we do take care of it, guess what happens? It takes care of yeah. us. That's and right. I do believe that keeping balanced, like we've been saying, keeping a positivity, keeping those thoughts, not that you can't analyze but, you know, when you start going down that hole of criticizing yourself, maybe you could say, okay, well, I, I heard what you said about that. But you know what? Here's the other side of that thought. And just take yourself to the more positive side. You know, whether you journal, whether you – whatever you do. Some pe- My husband was an engineer. Engineers mm-hmm. live by routine. I mean, that's why they're engineers. That's why they go to that field. That's that what you were talking about, that left brain, right brain thing. Um, right. You know, en- engineers sit on the left brain side of life. Is that right? But, yeah. They're sort of the yeah. very l- logical. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah. true? Okay. But what he also enjoyed doing, as as he got older into his life and right out of the house and off to college, he started to cook. And I mean, he did all of the cooking. And I saw oh. that as like, wow. I saw, okay, tell me if I'm wrong, I saw that as the right side of his life. That was creativity. And I thought, you can do both. You can be that logical guy that doesn't have to just talk to hear yourself talking, like your wife, or you could be that logical guy but enjoy cooking. 
And you go ahead, Marsha, you can right. do the dishes. It's like, are you kidding? That's a great balance. I'm happy to do that. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny how we all manage to, to walk this path and walk this journey. And I just want yeah. to thank you so much for spending this hour with me, um, you on the East Coast, me on the West Coast, but it doesn't matter. The subject nope. is still the same. And and you've been very generous with your time. I wish we were neighbors. I would be hanging out <laughs> with you on a regular basis, and you'd be going, oh, God. Um, so I, I want to thank you once again for, for joining me today. I encourage all of you to go out and purchase this book and tell your friends. You know, I think that that's, that's the way the word gets spread. So so thank you, Andrew, for, for joining me today. It's been just been terrific. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the program. You're welcome. Okay, everybody, you know it doesn't stop here. I'll have a show next week, and I hope you'll join me again with when Grace Rector comes on my show and talks about her book about her mom. For now, I'm going to say goodbye. Have a great week, everybody. Be safe. Bye for now.